Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Tonight it's Ian, Bonnie, and Kumo in the studio here. First, I want to talk a little bit about you, Kumo. You are new not only to being on Free Talk Live, it's your first appearance here, but also new to New Hampshire. You just made the move on Thursday, Friday? Yep, yep just got here on Thursday night. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. How does it feel? It's an adjustment, that's for sure. Well, now you say that, but you're from Wisconsin. Uh, so, I mean, you certainly, it certainly is cold in Wisconsin. As I understand it, it gets somewhat colder there during the wintertime. Oh, than it, it, does cer- here. it certainly does get colder. The mm-hmm. adjustment's less about the climate and more. It's a new life, it's a new chapter. Sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, you don't have to say, but I'm going to guess you're in your mid to late 20s? Yep, late 20s. Okay, all right. So, spent your whole life in Wisconsin up until now, I'm guessing? Uh, with a brief period in Minnesota for uh, uh, just a brief excursion, mm-hmm. uh, visiting and living with friends over on that side. But that's not too far away from, from where you were oh, from, I, right? absolutely not. Yeah. It's yeah, basically an hour and a half from Wisconsin, so basically wisconsin so yeah it's like uh i mean i having moved here myself from florida but for me it was 16 years ago uh it's like it's moving to a new country basically i mean you're around a kind of a completely different type of person to some extent uh although i was watching some of the there was this wisconsin comedian i think you recommended to me and i'm sorry i don't remember his name oh yeah charlie barons charlie barons (laughs) i watched one of his uh comedy specials and it was really entertaining and it seems like there's actually a fair amount of similarities between people up here and over there. Like he was talking about calling uh, water fountains bubblers in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. They do that here, too. Really? No. I had never heard that term before moving up here. They, of course, they do the New England style bubbla here. Oh, so I yeah. suspect it's pronounced uh, a little differently. Yeah, over there it's pronounced bubbler. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but But that means water fountain. And, you know, somebody who's not from around here would, if you said, you know, there's a bubbler around the corner, you'd have like no idea what that person was talking about. So I think there are actually some similarities, just uh, the accent is dramatically different. Oh yeah, the accent is extremely different uh, <laughs> from my experience with talking to folks over here. Indeed. So, uh, well, anyway, welcome to New Hampshire. You moved here. Are you uh, officially a part of the Free State Project or were you one of those people that's just like, I got to get there and I'm not a joiner kind of person? Uh, I- I never signed no no yeah. paper. I never signed <laughs> nothing. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna get over here and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the Free State Project was definitely like a factor, right, in attracting you here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the Free State Project basically running Pork Fest uh, was what kind of like at least from my, from the outside looking in. Uh, I think it was Carla Garrick who mm-hmm. came on Tom Woods' show advertising the uh, Pork Fest and yeah. just recommended. Uh, going on, like checking it out, and I was like, "All right, well, this was back when early bird tickets were only thirty dollars." Yeah, what are they now? Like a hundred bucks or something like that. I think early bird this year was seventy five. Okay, yeah, but, not not bad. I mean, ten bucks a day. Yep, something like that. So you know, much uh, still a pretty good, darn good deal. So it was the Tom Woods show that turned you onto the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Yep, and then the Free State Project. Yep, and then the Free State Project. And Porkfest basically got me to meet a lot of folks over in this side of the state. Um, made a good few friends my first year mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Porkfest 2021. That was your first time? Yep. Oh, okay. That was a big year too, right? Oh, yeah. No, that was... Uh, sold out, I think. Yep. Sold out. That, yep. Sold first, out. I think that was the first year they ever sold out. And then 
2022 they sold out again yep and it makes sense i mean like what during 2020 you know not i assume not many people showed up for the event or nearly it was actually pretty decent but it was certainly not record record setting or anything like that but Mm -hmm. it wasn't terrible i think thousand maybe i think with 2021 and 2022 i think enough people started you know smelling smelling the roses and realizing or you know they they knew they something was up the covid tyranny was in your face literally literally in your face exactly the masks and all that you drove out from wisconsin i think you told me off the air a couple days ago we had you in the studio just hanging out like 26 24 hours something like that uh closer to 22 22 Um, okay reason it was 24 was because i made a stop in detroit uh and then i attempted to make a stop in rhode island uh but those plans fell through so as i was going through connecticut i ended up going up further north and does that include sleeping time as well the 22 hour 22 no that does not okay. i the, if i included that it would be probably well yeah probably about 30 hours okay. realistically because yeah. you you're need- up way in the north of wisconsin right um Green Bay is more in the north. Uh, it's a bit of the northeast. It's not super far north. It's kind of like central on the latitude of Wisconsin, and it's just the fur- one of the furthest east. One what, of them. what was your experience with the people? I mean, because we were talking a little bit about COVID and, and what it was like there. You said the county had a mask mandate, for instance. What about your friends? I mean, what what uh, what about your family? What was it like? I mean, how crazy were they getting, or were they you know quietly against it? verbally or vocally against it what what was your experience so for context i am basic amongst my friends i am pretty much the only libertarian amongst them i i'm surrounded by liberals leftists and comms really uh i love all of them don't get me wrong they're all good friends of mine and they've done so much for me in the but you're not from madison you're from elsewhere no i'm Uh i'm from eau claire okay uh my libertarian journey started in minnesota though okay uh but uh keep that keeping my life story to as short as possible uh but basically most of my friends they went along they stayed home a lot of them even preferred that uh we are part of we're part of a kind of a large larping organization and the wisconsin minnesota that's live action role playing yep that is correct would you say most of them are like leftists yeah, pretty much. Kind of seems like that. And love them, love them, hate them. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a fun community to be a part of at times. Um, Except but, there was no LARPing going on during COVID. I oh suspect. no, no. <laughs> Once uh, twenty twenty hit, like that that March, we put our king, our kingdom, which was Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa. We went on lockdown, and we didn't get out of lockdown. Till funnily enough, the weekend uh, before Porkfest. Uh, 2021? 2021. Oh. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, but tw- still, that's crazy. That's no, a long time. No hanging out outside with we, your friends. Well, to clarify, there was no official LARPing. Eventually, we got to the point where we would go, we would just, because Wisconsin, we have a cartel uh, called the Tavern League, which is... Like very, I I know the looks. Uh, basically, it's a union of bar owners mm. that all gathered together in order to enforce liquor. Like basically, it's 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 kind of it lobbies to 
give themselves better favor. They also lobby to prevent marijuana legalization. Oh, cartel lovely. sounds like a, a good term for it, that. It's, it's a correct term it is, for that. It is a cartel. Well, of course, Wisconsin is known for being a highly drinking kind of place, right? Like everybody's got a beer in their hand kind of it, kind of place. Listen, with with alcohol that cheap, I, I don't blame anybody. <laughs> the And it's not subsidized. That's the beautiful thing about it. Is that right? Wow. Okay. Is the cheese subsidized? I'm trying to, I believe dairy is subsidized in some form or matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's federal, believe, isn't it? I, believe, I don't know. I think that's federal. I think there's price controls involved, Yeah. which I know I've met like one or two farmers who are not a fan of that. Um, I'm going to have to get talk further with them in order to get like some discussions on that. There are a lot of people who, you know, in the liberty movement, they're just not like, I'm not a joiner. You know, I'm not going to sign my name to something, but I like the idea of what you guys are doing, which Certainly. is which is to say moving as many like-minded, liberty-oriented uh people here to the same geographic area and and then hopefully having some level of success at actually making this place more free than it was when we found it. And I think that we are having that success. I think at the very least the beginnings of that success are apparent where we've seen dozens of libertarians getting elected here in New Hampshire as usually Republicans, sometimes Democrats, um, not so much libertarians. <laughs> the libertarians still don't get elected pretty much anywhere. But uh, there's so many libertarian activists that have migrated here. A lot of them are just kind of infiltrating, not so much secretly in some cases, but openly, the two major political parties, which I really think is a nice flip of how things typically go, which is typically the failures from the big parties like the Republicans, like Bob Barr or Gary Johnson, uh, these sort of failed uh, Republicans. I mean, they, they did get elected, so I guess I can't say they're complete failures, but they wanted to go and become something bigger in a third party for some reason. And so they joined the Libertarian Party. Or they got, party. you know, a mission from their federal masters their handlers yeah handlers to go join the libertarian party and ruin it right, right to make the libertarian party look like a bunch of conservatives which shouldn't be that's the number one best strategy just make the libertarians look like a bunch of conservatives that's the best strategy well that's what they were doing for years in the national um, lp if it, just to be clear the best strategy for the feds to ruin the libertarian party yeah for the listener. So we're doing the reverse here in New Hampshire, which is to say the libertarians are working on taking over the other two parties. Now, I don't know how far along they are on the Democrats. They're pretty dug in, pretty difficult to uh, you know to infiltrate in there. But the libertarians have done fairly well with uh, getting into positions of prominence within the Republican Party here to the point where a free stater is actually the Republican House Majority Leader which makes him the House Majority Leader because the Republicans currently have a slim majority uh, in the State House. So he's not the Speaker of the House, which would be the highest uh, position in the State House. He what, is the what's second even the difference? It's like they all get the same vote, so what's the point of that? The Speaker, I don't think, does vote. Oh. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that, but the Speaker runs the whole proceeding. So that guy that's there with a the gavel the whole says, time. Matt Sabinastasso. Yeah, that cannot pronounce Matt Santanastasso's name to save his life. That guy is the, the Speaker of the House. Uh-huh. Okay, but other than him, like, why does it matter if you're the majority leader? Um, I don't know. That's some sort of organizational thing for them. I would say, don't look at me. I'm yeah. an agorist. I don't really touch uh, politics. I, I don't touch the political spirit uh, realm. Well, and as you were saying, you did come from uh, from the left, so that's kind of agorism. For I mean, I don't think it's fair to call it leftist per se, but I mean, well, how would you describe it? It's it is. There are some certain 
aspects of it that do have leftist elements like the and keep in mind uh anarcho-capitalism does also have a class theory to an extent but Konkin, when he wrote he was basing a lot of his stuff on the old anarchists of like you know uh emma goldman mm-hmm. you know stuff like that this is and, samuel edward Konkin. yep sam edward Konkin the third he wrote the book literally yep. on agorism Con- counter economics yep. i believe that was it called it uh, i haven't finished uh, that and agorist primer uh yeah, the uh, counter-economics from the back alleys to the stars was sadly unfinished due to his, mm, his uh, death. Uh, premature demise, yes. Um, and but define what ag- agorism is. So agorism is a, I would consider it a split off from libertarianism around the time when there was a schism on the basis of whether or not political action was the correct move mm-hmm. uh, in order to spread uh, liberty. We were talking about agorism, and my understanding of it, Kumo, and please you know, correct me if I'm wrong about this, is that agorism is this sort of outside-the-system approach to achieving liberty, where the idea is that we just build the alternative, and then the state will essentially like wither away. So the agorists would want to build protection services or you know, street cleaning or you know, snow plowing and things like that, whatever things that the government is kind of doing now create an, a, a market-based alternative for that and somehow attract people over to it. Is that kind of like the general that, vision? That, to an extent, can be the general vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, Konkin had a very, I think, and, and this is where we have, have some interesting schisms even within, within, agor- agorism. within agorism, because there's some people who don't necessarily buy into the uh, agorism itself will erode away the state. Okay. Um, what but, will then? That's a good question. <laughs> the the one thing, the, but the, with that school of agorism, it's I'm gonna live free anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about saving the world. I see. I just need to save myself and my family. Whereas there's the pe- and I'm a, kind of in the middle on it. Mm-hmm. Like I I know this is a multi generational thing. I know the state is not gonna disappear tomorrow. I know it's not gonna disappear in a decade. I would certainly hope it'd be if gone. Only. Exactly. It's it's I very certainly hope it'll disappear and I'm certain it will. Uh the I think the one problem I have one of the critiques I have of agorism is, with, as an agorist is the idea of inevitability. It's very similar to Marx's uh view of communism where communism will just happen. Hmm. Obviously ignore Lenin mm-hmm. uh Lenin's view on the professional class uh provocateurs and things like that but like marx himself believed it was just an inevitability that the communists and so there are certain agorists who believe that agorism will just take over that people will become agorists enough of them and and that's one of the things where i'm like i know a good amount can and i'm sure there'll be cadres of you know areas where there'll be agorist you know pockets Mm -hmm. i just don't know if even in the near like in the near future it's going to be to the point of starving the beast mm-hmm. so to speak cuz if you read it's if you read the new libertarian manifesto konkan details the war so to speak with in like multiple phases and fourth is the the state is on its last legs and will wither away because it can't keep up with insurance companies hiring protection services mm-hmm. you know 
But there are examples. That might have been the one that I read because it sounds familiar. It's the one with the black and yellow cover. Okay. Uh, the white the white cover is uh, an Agoras Primer. Um, and then Counter Economics from the Back Alleys to the Stars, uh, while unfinished, was included in Derek Bros's How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. Hmm. The other one I've read is uh, Back Alley to the Stars. And the thing I love about it, um, it I haven't gotten to the end, so apparently it's just going to end abruptly because it's not finished. But I read probably like five hours of it and all it was was here's another another example of uh you know a state completely locking down the economy and these people just doing counter economics anyway like businesses underground and it, it there's so many examples like i don't even know how he gets all this information and it, it's like really detailed about how how these people are like avoiding just like simply avoiding taxes or really complexly avoiding like in you know the ussr people had like factories uh without the government knowing because you know they knew who to pay off and stuff like that it's awesome the one thing to note though is counter economics is or counter revolutionary economics in its fullest name is literally any action outside of the permission of the state we got steven on the line in northwest georgia you're on free talk live steven Hey, so I would consider myself to be an agorist, right? Okay. Um, but I also, I don't think that you would ever, I don't think anyone can ever achieve 100% agorism or however you want to phrase that. By that, I do you also, mean someone who is like trying to be completely outside the system? Yeah, I don't think you can ever be completely outside of the system. No, um, and not as long as you're walking on the roads or the sidewalks provided by the government, right? Like... They're going to get you into their system somehow. There's some way they're going to force you to pay for you know, what they're doing. Anytime you buy food at you know any place that's not from another human being directly, you're probably paying some form of tax, even if it's a, you know, even if you're in New Hampshire and it's like a grocery store, you're still paying for their electric bills taxes. So there is always some way. But anyway, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, and so I heard y'all talking about it, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe that agorism is going to bring down the system, right? And part of that is I don't believe the system is going to get taken down because of one thing, right? I don't think there's going to be like this one moment where it just collapses. I think it's going to be more like death by a thousand paper cuts. Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by the system. If what you're talking about is the federal government, we know that there's a chance it could just collapse. I mean, that's what happened with the Soviet Union. It could certainly happen here. Uh, But that doesn't mean the system goes away, right? Just because the federal government collapses doesn't mean the idea of the state has collapsed. That just means that the people who believe in the state are going to fill the vacuum with the next state, which could be worse. Could be better. Could be worse. But, like, okay— so I don't really believe that the USSR collapsed, right? I think that it shrank and I think that it changed names. Hmm. But most of the people that hold high-ranking positions in the Russian federal government right now held some position in the USSR. Okay. Right? All of those all of those generals were USSR lieutenants at some point. All of those all these high-end politi- or all these high-ranking politicians were low and medium-ranking politicians in the USSR. A lot of that's just because of time, right? But a lot of those dudes 
literally just changed their name tag when the USSR R collapsed, right? That's I mean, I it. see what you're it's saying, just, that the, the uh, system may have changed, but the people, a lot of them are still the same. But they did get McDonald's out of the, the whole deal. I mean, there's certainly more freedom to do things in Russia today. And I'm not saying it's a you know, free country by any means. It's certainly on the bottom tier of uh, economic freedom if you look at the various economic freedom rankings. But it certainly got more of it now than it did 30 or 40 years ago. First of all, if you want a hamburger, just let me know you want a hamburger. I'll come make you one. McDonald's is garbage. I, um, I don't ever eat at McDonald's. I'd just like to clarify that. By the way, that McDonald's is now out of Russia uh, since the whole uh, invasion thing where corporations decided they were just going to bail on doing business there. But uh, but uh, to go back to your point, Stephen, about you know what could happen, the only way the state is going to go away is if people stop believing in it. It doesn't have to do with... You know, agorists providing a better service or, you know, some sort of competing market in protection services somehow outdoing uh, the government police because, well, first of all, most people are already paying for the government police. So it'll be very hard for them to justify paying for an additional service on top of what they're forced to pay for. We have to get people to stop believing in the state. And maybe agorism can help us move to that place. But the reality is it's going to be a popular movement it, it's going to have to be popular because right now what's popular is obedience and what's popular is uh you know going along to get along and until we can get enough uh, freedom-minded people in the same geographic area who have a similar belief we cannot influence the rest of society the libertarians i think ever, anywhere else can't cut it everything starts in your mind you don't just build a new thing without picturing it in your mind first that's true if if the first person who invented a chair they thought i need to sit hmm what would that look like then they built a chair i mean everything starts with the mind and that's why i think that um if the world is ever going to be free it needs to start with changing people's minds i think agorism is a great thing because people who get it already just start doing it are showing people the way sure one of the stories we have tonight and maybe we'll talk about this before we talk about Uh, The drag show is the El Salvador mega prison that Bonnie watched the footage from earlier today, I think it was. Yeah, or last night. It was disgusting. Like, it was freaky. Have you seen any of this, Stephen? Kumo, have you seen the El Salvador stuff? I'm I'm relatively on the pulse of El Salvador as it is the Bitcoin country at this point. So I've been paying attention with how Nayib Bukele has been running his presidency. Stephen, are you aware of what's going down uh, down there? No, but mega prison sounds terrifying. Okay, here's the well, other the thing. Well, the thing is the prison isn't getting any bigger. They're just putting like 10 people to a toilet. Well, it is a new, uh, it looks like a newly built facility. And oh. what they are yep. doing is they're literally putting suspected gang members in this facility. 2, but I wasn't 000- joking about 10 people to a toilet. They, it's they, more than it's 10. Inhumane. It's like 100 people to two toilets, Whoa. Uh, I believe is what the, the numbers are. There. I think they give that number here in, in this article, but the BBC reporting on it uh, that 2,000 suspected gang members in El Salvador have been moved to a huge new prison, the centerpiece of President Nayib Bukele's self-declared war on crime. Tens of thousands of suspected gangsters have been rounded up in the country under a state of emergency following a spike in murders and other violent crime. The jail will eventually hold more than 40,000 people. This is the size of a small city. And they were 
doing something really weird with them in the video I watched. Like, they were all getting uh, corralled into the hallway of this prison and sitting in this weird position. Like, imagine you have your hands behind your head and you're sitting down, like, kneeling down and uh, your legs in front of you kind of are creating a V-shape and then the person in front of you is in between your legs facing away from you and everybody was connected like that, like some kind of human centipede. It was freaking weird. Like, it's just a... Yeah, their hands are actually behind their back. They're handcuffed. Their legs are shackled. uh, And they are all, like, leaning forward. So they're being instructed to lean forward and place their heads on sort of the back of their uh, the other person's neck or the lower portion of their their neck. And there's literally hundreds of uh, individuals, like, in a row together. So they all look the same? It's a crazy uh, situation, Stephen. The reason I bring this up is because... The responses, of course, from people in the United States, there's this video going around, like a three-minute or two-minute-long video on social media that is professionally edited, professionally shot. They got, like, drone shots in there of these guys, these victims, uh, the suspected gang members who are being rounded up and put into this facility. It's basically a puff piece promo made by the El Salvadoran government showing these guys getting rounded up and thrown into these positions that Bonnie Turned was just Turned into like human Legos. And uh, being put into, uh, you know, a, hundred, a thousand people in a cell, you know, probably designed for a hundred people having to share two toilets or whatever. Uh, but uh, but the reactions that you're getting from people in the United States who are the law and order types, it's like, yeah, this is what we need to see. We need this kind of thing happening in the United States. Also, people in South America, I saw people like, you are sure. going to be the shining beacon, beacon of hope. Or maybe they're Central America. Tough on, tough on crime. It, it It's something that works for politicians. So, Stephen, I think we're a long, long way away from having, especially after the whole COVID uh, obedience that we've seen from people from having people just decide to give up on the state. I wish that were different, and I think that it can be different if we get enough people together in the same geographic area because then we can make being anti-state popular. I know what needs to happen. I know what the key is. It's that women need to stop thinking that cops are hot. I I don't understand (laughs) it. But you're, you're asking you're asking for the moon, Bonnie. I'm sorry. It's weird. I mean, I, I don't even Badge know bunnies. anyone personally uh, other than TJ who thinks bad badges are hot. But like but as far as women, I don't even know anyone, but I know it's a thing. It has to be. It's they, a thing. People need to stop even considering like if you're gonna date someone and you're looking on Tinder or something and you see that they're a cop, just that's a that's don't a, date a cop, yeah. That's not just a red flag, that's like that's a no. Sorry, can't at all. Don't even think about it any further. The only thing that's going to bring normal people on board with the idea of, hey, this whole state thing's bad plan. We got to get rid of it, is to make it popular. And libertarians aren't popular. And that's why libertarians need to stop uh, getting involved with the conservatives. Conservatives aren't popular. <laughs> I think one of the other problems, and this is just uh, an observation I made over the over the years, is we do not have cultural relevance. And I've actually written mm-hmm. on this uh, in various pieces where libertarianism, liberty mindedness in general, fails to hold the cultural zeitgeist because we do not have as good of cultural media as the left. Mm -hmm. You know, people quote Atlas Shrugged all the time, like objectivism is not the same as libertarianism, obviously, but that's pretty much all we got alongside. So do you mean like uh, when you say cultural relevance, you mean like movies and music and that? Exactly, because let's 
if we especially if you look at the in the realm of say children's media or or comic media mm-hmm. or things like that where there is very granted it it like kids won't immediately get it but if you're an adult looking at some of the stuff it's it there's a lot of marxist elements in in these uh media franchises mm-hmm. um i'm not going to i won't necessarily name a lot of names of these things uh but the but a lot of this is a case of the left having taken Antonio Gramsci's work to heart. Who's that? Antonio Gramsci was a Marxist writer back in the day who wrote on cultural uh, hegemony. It's always that word. Hegemony. Hegemony. Yeah, hegemony. Uh, uh, And he was talking about culture uh, being the thing that'll move people to Marxism. Mm -hmm. So I believe he encouraged people to in Hollywood and also the universities well they've had success they were with they that, were very yeah. successful with yeah. that as we can we can have seen now um, yeah you're right and the libertarian attempts are ooh, um there a lot of them are really bad well, i had an idea before and i just want to put it out there for someone else to do because i'm probably never going to do it but it was my idea when i first became a libertarian in like 2016 i had a five and six year old little brother and sister they would sit and watch YouTube all day of just people unboxing toys and then playing with them. Mm. Like the, it would just be hands playing with toys. Mm. And and I mean, that's a huge thing on YouTube. It wasn't just my little brother and sister. Yep. I was like, oh, I should get some toys and make like libertarian stories. So somebody should steal that idea from me and do it. The good news, there are some shining examples. The Tuttle Twins has been sort of heralded, yep. and rightfully so, from what I understand, as a very good series of books. Uh, the animated. I actually reviewed the first season of the animated series. Oh, I didn't uh, even know oh, they had that. Me yep, They have an animated series. Uh, good for them. That uh, must you, mean they're doing well. Then. Yep. Uh, their episodes are on YouTube. Hmm. I actually, and the review I did is on Liberty Blog. Uh, are these for like little little kids because i know the books they have different it, ranges of the range i would potentially give it at is i'd put it somewhere in the realm of seven to eight year olds okay all right i don't i the creators of the show would probably could probably correct like give me the actual you know give the actual description but it is kind of that before tweens age okay. for youth because it's explaining concepts like uh government uh interference in markets uh food truck licenses you know, things like that in some of the episodes. Inflation is, a, I think, a season two concept that they tackle. Let's talk to Chuck in Washington State. Chuck, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. What was that click? I don't know. You're on the air. Are you? Okay, good. I, I wasn't sure if I was on the air or it was the uh, federal government uh, clicking their phones again on your show. Um, What's on your mind, Chuck? Well, uh, El Salvador. Yeah, you're talking about a bunch of different things. I heard uh, our our mutual friend, uh, uh, the guy from Texas. What's his name? He has a show on a lot of the Alex Jones. Let's see. Oh, that's yeah. He was really going off and really uh, wanting this guy to. Uh, sounds like he wanted the president of El Salvador to come up to America and run for president oh, uh, at some point in time. But. Uh, uh, you were talking about libertarianism. Do you um, more proof? If that's actually what, what Alex Jones was saying, more proof he is nowhere near anything like a libertarian is. Some people no, might like to yeah, believe. You're right. Yeah, he he he's a well. I think he's a Christian nationalist, maybe uh, or something like that. But anyway, uh, libertarianism. Little House on the Prairie. 
Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. I've never actually seen it beyond, you know, flipping past it on the TV decades ago. <laughs> it's a pretty good show. I read the books as a kid. I liked oh, it. Wow. Okay. What do you think about the uh, um, the whole theme of the uh, of of the book and uh, that relationship to the whole idea of libertarianism? I wish that land was just kind of um, not owned by anyone until someone went and stuck st- stuck a claim to it because. Um, I don't like that the government just owns huge swaths. Wait, I, I don't know exactly what part you want me to comment on. I mean, I, I just thought well, it was cool that they just were like, well, this is where we're going to land. Let's start building our the, house the, here. A, self-rel- a self-reliant uh, type of a, a civilization. And, and, and that's what I'm thinking. And that's what I'm thinking when I uh, think about what you guys are uh, trying to build over there in New Hampshire at the Free State Project. This is kind of what I think of, uh, kind of a... Uh, a, a, uh, a little house on the prairie scenario with cell phones and uh, selfies and whatnot and uh, uh, that kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know I, the thing it's... about it is even when I think like, oh, I want to go live on a farm because I saw these Instagram girls that have a farm. I don't even like to leave the city to go get raw milk. Like I'm buying <laughs> raw milk from a co-op right now, which makes me feel like a you communist. You buy your raw milk from Nilly or Nelly? Is that a character in the show? Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, so it's uh, just that, like, it's like that's 15 minutes away, and I drink a lot of milk with my coffee and stuff. Yeah, the only thing about milk is baby cows drink up, and I'm not a baby cow. So, uh, (laughs) if Sarah could call up and give us an update on. Well, before you go on, uh, Chuck, I want to get Kumo to weigh in. I know you're asking about the book, but I mean, do you have any any response to his question about Little House on the Prairie and libertarianism? There were some interesting elements within the show that like, yeah. could definitely be formed that rugged self-reliance, that individualism, but also working within your community, uh, especially uh, what, uh, how do I put this? There is, there is a good amount of libertarianism that is against like big corporations crushing mm-hmm. the little man. And there was a particular episode I particularly enjoyed where the... Farm equipment distributors were holding an extra, a very, very high premium on their equipment hmm. when the farmers were just going to go to the suppliers themselves. And there was a discussion between the owners of these distributors versus the main, the main, the father uh, in the show. Um, and it was basically a no. We all, all the farmers, these workers are going to be standing strong against this big corporation Hmm. from harming us so we can actually get equipment at a reasonable rate. So there, some might view that as more of a Marxist lean. I view that as just as libertarian as any, because they're still still engaged. Well, yeah, they're organizing and just as much engaging in the free market. Just Mm -hmm. so happens that they're ignoring the middleman and going directly to the source. Conveniently, that's also kind of how we want to interpret government as well. Government's effectively a middleman for things, for services that we could very easily have cut them out. Exactly. Especially. In the book I remember the most is Little House in the Big Woods. And basically, like, they lived, they didn't have neighbors, like, at all. They had to walk for, like, a day to get to town. Like, it would take a day for them to walk to town, buy their stuff, and come back whenever they did do that. So they rarely did that. So they did everything by themselves. If you're a slumlord and you have a house that's, like, you know, 
paint falling off, the you know shingles on the roof aren't in a, in good shape or whatever. Like it just doesn't look good from the outside. You have a disincentive from a tax perspective to do anything at all to improve the look of that of that building. Hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why a lot of the towns in New England. It's not I wasn't going to say it. It's not just a uh, uh, New Hampshire thing. It's true in Massachusetts as well. It's one reason why a lot of the towns look kind of junky, you know, because the people aren't encouraged to by the tax system to uh, to upgrade their homes. I'm going to be quite honest with you. You you say they look junky. You have not been to some as areas of the Rust Belt. Oh yeah, no, I have definitely not been there. No, I I've like, heard the stories. Wrong. I've seen some of these houses. I'm like, oh, okay, they're they're, they're you mean like a... Gary, Indiana, and places like Gary, that? Indiana, to anywhere near Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the Rust Belt like? What? Why is it the Rust Belt? The Rust Belt is an area of the Midwest where the which can include places like it's even moving a little bit eastward and say like uh, Pennsylvania and things like that, where these used to be big areas for industry. And then as time went on, they stopped being uh, bastions of industry, um, whether it be from, you know, sending jobs overseas or whatever factors. Classic Detroit- example would be Detroit's car industry. Yep, exactly. Is- Detroit is a perfect example because of ec- the basically it ended up losing a lot of its industry. So the the infrastructure, it's in rust. Mm-hmm. Wow. And literally, the buildings are decrepit, right? I had like, heard this before, but I don't think I ever got it explained. Like, I didn't know actual rust is causing something. You've got... Well, I mean, in some cases, it's, it it's kind of is, It's but, kind of more metaphorical. Like, it's just meant to be, like, mm-hmm. a decaying and a decaying land. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you've uh, got literally, like, abandoned uh, factories. You've got houses where people don't live anymore. And they've been stripped, in many cases, of their copper piping by thieves who just want to make a buck. Uh, I mean, it's just, like you said, I have not been through it. I've, all I've seen is video. It sounds like you've got some extensive uh, experience. I've mo- Well, as someone who's driven through areas, it like, keep in mind, I've, I, I'm relatively lucky because Wisconsin is, I would not consider that part of the Rust Belt. Mm-hmm. We still have some pretty good industries uh, within their, you know, particular agriculture and things like that. So we, I would not say that, but driving through these areas, like to get to Porkfest or go to various LARPing events, you see some of the uh, results of neg- negligible policy, mm. um, and because of that negligible policy, it allowed into populist uh, speakers like Trump to actually be able to get a good foothold. Because when your region is defiled by bad policy, uh, bailouts, things like that, where mm-hmm. you know the CEOs get to fly off in their the private golden jets. parachute, yeah. Yeah. exactly golden parachute. When then you have Trump come in and talk to the average worker in those in the Rust Belt and say this isn't your fault, you know he 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 got a lot of support by talking to those people. So funny. Well, I, I was about to say sadly, but to be honest, I'm not a fan of the guy. So you know, thankfully he didn't li- live up to his you know promises with them, and then he kind of lost favor. You started as a leftist, a Bernie Sanders supporter, I believe, in 2015, 2016. Pretty bummed by the Trump election. And then at some point you found the ideas of liberty and it involved leaving Wisconsin and being in Minnesota. Yeah. So basically what ended up happening was I got a 2006 Ford Freestar. It's a minivan. Uh, the uh, And 
I wanted to visit some buddies in Minnesota. And obviously at this time, I was still a progressive of some sort, a disenfranchised Democrat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to Minnesota. Were you disenfranchised because of how the Democratic Party treated Bernie Sanders? That was mostly it. Okay. And I was like, if they, and I think I, it was, yeah, 2018. So I was having discussions with my liberal, some of their liberal family members, you know, vote blue no matter who. And I was like, listen, if they do what they did to Bernie back in 2016, I'm not voting for them. Because I think at the time I was a ya- I was Yang Gang. Okay. Which, yeah. Yeah. No. He, Andrew Yang. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I I used to have a lot of respect for the guy. Looking at not some of the people he's endorsed now, I'm I, not so much. Hmm. But uh, regardless, moving on. Uh, as I was there, I had a significantly lower paycheck. Uh, technically being paid more, but less was being taken home. Mm-hmm. Um. Alcohol taxes were much higher. Sin, sin taxes were higher, I should say, um, compared to Wisconsin. Okay. At the time, I was a regular, like, not not an alcoholic, but my buddies and I would drink. Yeah, young so, guy. So, Drinking. you know, things like that. So okay. I noticed that. Um, and then I think the final straw, because I was getting pissed about, like, the, my paycheck being less. Uh, and uh, that, you know, that's, you know, that's, I don't think that's enough to push someone to the liberty mind. Uh, what did, however was police there was a news story about police going to a homeless encampment on a bridge and destroying it Mm -hmm. and that as someone who was living in a van at the time Mm -hmm. uh struck home it's really struck home and i was very i was i was livid my coworkers like saw like you know my vein like the vein in my head popping and i took my a friend of mine his name is rourke he did one of those political compass tests. Say what you will about political compass tests. I don't think they're particularly great. But it was like, you know, in the lib right section. I'm like, oh, okay. I wonder. Him and I. Your friend was. Or yeah, you he, he was. Okay. So I'm like, oh, him and I get along. We talk about things. Took the test. I was about in the same realm, which was mm-hmm. kind of still in the, kind of that centrist territory. But it was in the lib right when all the time I've taken was in lib left. Liberal or libertarian? Libertarian, oh. yeah, because it, it's authoritarian to libertarian, uh-huh. yeah. left to right, okay. you know, things like that. So, Me and Ian took it, like, last week, and we got almost the same square. Like, you know how it's a bunch of little tiny squares? Yeah, baby, yep. There's yep. different ones. There's the, uh, the the classic one was the world's smallest political quiz by yep. the advocates for self-government. You're talking about one of the online ones that's not that. I one, think right? if you look up just literal political compass. Yeah, I think that's the one that Bonnie and I yep. took. It it's got like the the art of the people that uh, yeah, like who, who might public be figures yeah, yeah public figures and things like that. Um, I used to be in the libertarian left quadrant for most of my time, especially in high school, mm-hmm. and then after I took that, it put me basically on the same level li- libertarian wise, but it moved me basically the exact opposite to the right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh? And I talked to my friend. I'm like, am I a conservative? And he's like. No, you're extremely anti-war. I don't think that that really fits your mo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, then I realized, learned what libertarianism was. And how old were you at this time? I was. Hold on, let me do some quick maths. Sounds like early twenties. If you could drink, I was pretty early. Tw- I was mid twenties, okay. I believe, because twenty. Yeah, twenty. So this would have been like right after Bernie Sanders. Because it was like right after, oh, I thought you said it was right after Trump got elected. Yeah, so 28, yeah, it was basically Okay, like, so that's six so, years ago. Yep. That's, that's interesting. Like, yeah, it was 22, 23-ish. Okay. Me and you have two similarities. First of all, Bernie Sanders is instrumental in me becoming a libertarian because I hated him. 
And I was always arguing with my sister on Facebook because my sister liked Bernie Sanders. She doesn't really. Anyways. Um, and I was arguing with her on Twitter and a friend of mine would like get involved and be like, yeah, also, this is a reason why his policies don't work. Because I was just coming from basically being like a Fox News rep- Republican conservative. Mm. And um, my friend would make all these good points. I'd be like, where? Where do you learn this stuff? Like, this is really interesting what you're saying. Like, I want to know more about economics like you know. And he showed me the Foundation for Economic Education. And so Bernie Sanders is also, for a different reason, part of the reason I'm a libertarian. (laughs) Being critical of the police wouldn't necessarily lead one to libertarianism, per se. Yep, that is correct. I think the... I think... The thing that got it was specifically the fact, though, I was living in a vehicle, so, you know, I was able to put it entirely in, in as selfish as it is to put it into my perspective of what if they d- came in and destroyed my van for some reason, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't know if that was the full thing, but effectively put me onto the, what I would consider the Lulbert route, which is, you know, freedom is good because freedom good. I'm not going to look into any theory. I'm not going to. And keep in mind, I'm not disparaging people who think freedom good. It's just uh, looking at it now, I was not very principled okay. in how I viewed liberty because I didn't even think about property rights. I just thought I can do what I want to start. Well, so, uh, yeah, when cops are basically investigating you for doing nothing but wanting to live a life that they think might be strange, you know, mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. got to make you start thinking, you know, like, I can do what if, if I want to, because so you can. <laughs> was it around that time with the cops and the uh, homeless encampment and all that that you took that quiz? Pretty much. And then I saw that. A and political I, compass? Yeah, political compass. And then I took that and they basically... Kind of just set me on the path afterwards. Mm-hmm. I admittedly did not know about Rothbard, Mises, or any of those, uh, you know, great writers or thinkers until even though they are featured on that quiz. I think some of them are at least. I don't even I don't even remember if they were. Uh, but regardless, like I don't even think I'd pay attention to them because uh, I just looked at the quadrants. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't know about them until like 2020 mm. when there was I forgot exactly what. Uh, YouTube channel had this rap with Marx versus Mises. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Historical rappers or something? Historical rap battles, something like that? Well, there's a rap, uh, there's epic rap battles of history, but that's probably not the one. It's not that one. It's one by libertarians. Yeah, it's one by libertarians where it's Marx versus Mises. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, who's this Mises guy? And then also the one with uh, Hayek versus Keynes. And, uh, like of both of those, and I started looking into Mises and Hayek. Mm-hmm. Is that how you found Tom Woods? Um, that came after once I learned about Rothbard, hmm. and uh, I was, what was it? It was I was think I was listening to. I think it was Drew Hancock. I don't uh, know that name. Neither. Um. He made a bunch of short YouTube videos on mm-hmm. we uh the cathedral, uh weak libertarians, strong libertarians, uh younger guy. I think he worked for works for I don't know if he still works for Odyssey, but Oh cool. Um Oh yeah, I think I've seen him on Twitter. Yep. He's a big Twitter guy, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. He's I, moved I recognize he's, the moved, name he's moved away from like Liberty stuff, uh and is focusing on video games and he's putting a lot of his passion into that and I mm-hmm. actually commend him for that. Well yeah, that, that comes back to the cultural discussion that we were having before. Yep. Right. Where we need more freedom minded people in these creative arts areas. Yep. And uh with that, 
then I'll start to get recommendations. And my YouTube recommendations, it's the Tom Woods show, something, something. And it was the face of Tom Woods. And I'm like, who's this? Who's who's this guy? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you hear the guitar riff, prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, it's it's one of these guys. And then I started listening. I'm like, oh, he's reasonable. Yeah. And then I learned later he was a very big name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, all it, right. Uh, and then he went above- to Porkfest and... Oh, sorry. Also, to say, on top of that, one of the other things I was getting, the reason I got it in my recommended was because I was also listening to Backwards and That's Eric July. Yeah, Eric July music. Eric, so Eric July rapper. and Tom Woods kind of pushed me even further into the all right, cool into that ANCAP route. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Ah, um, yes. What's Richard yes. yelling at you back there? Is he yelling at you? What's going on? Oh no, he just. He's talking about uh, something else. He doesn't know that I'm I'm on right now. He's uh, kind of okay. deaf. All right, what's going on? So, no, that I just want to say that I just can't believe that um, our state wants to increase uh, increase our state session to uh, sixty days, like two months every year now, instead of like one month the other year. They're really thinking about this. Um, Okay, just let me see if I can follow what you're saying. So the state house in New Mexico wants to increase the number of days they're meeting from one month every two years to two months every two years? Okay, so one one year they meet for 60 days, two months, Uh and the next year they meet for one month, and it's just for budget. Got it. So now they figured out that they might need to have two-month session every year and then Mm. have a three-week break between so they could all read all of the bills what they're going to vote for because the bills they can't even read through it because it um because uh it's just too fast i mean and this year they introduced 800 bills there's no way that they could read any of what and they don't know what they're voting for what they're reading what what it's about and so that they want to have a three-week break and they're really talking about this Okay, well, I uh, I wish they would just you know uh, have zero days that they were meeting, but I do have to commend the New Hampshire House or sorry the New Mexico House of Representatives for having such a short period of time in which they can do the worst possible <laughs> things to the poor people. They get it done, of New Mexico. I mean, it's pretty it's freaking bad state. over there. Yeah, they they do manage to get it done. Uh, and well, according to this, there are seventy seats in the New Mexico. State House. You know, one other nice thing I can say about the New Mexico State House is they don't pay their legislature a lot of money. New Hampshire is sort of known for being, I think, the lowest of all of them with $100 per per year is what the New Hampshire state reps make, plus a small gas stipend. And I think New Mexico is like down towards the bottom of that list as well. I'm I'm looking to see if it'll... Oh, okay. No, it's the... I, I have to correct myself here. Uh, the New Mexico House of Representatives has no salary, but they do get a per diem. So I don't know if their per diem ends up being more than what the... Per diem uh, is like your food for the day, right? I think it's just a travel, you know, per day, right? Like you, you come for that day, you get paid for that day, uh, that kind of thing. So I don't know what... Do you know what it comes out to, Sarah, what the typical take-home is for a state rep um, there? I not know exactly the breakdown mm-hmm. the per diem is like your hotel expense for your gas mileage so they're probably milking you, that then to some extent yeah, you probably get a meal like in the military you always like hear about per diems like i used to work in hotels in the mil- 
on military bases and like they'd have a per diem which covered their hotel, their gas and, and like food. at least a meal if not more than one. Right, right. But, but you know what? The, I mean, but they, they're they not able to devote most of their time just working them for free. I mean, nobody nobody else that works for free, but they want, we want them to work for free. And so, um, and so they, they can't do like a fully committed job. Like a lot of the lawyers, it takes away from their law. And profession. they shouldn't run. Well, I mean, but the thing is, that's why, well, who's going to run the state then, you know? People who care about it that much. People who will make the time. Yeah, there's, I mean, essentially volunteer positions, and they manage to do it as is. So, like, it doesn't seem to not be working. Uh, Sarah, thanks for the call tonight. I'm looking here at uh, Ballotpedia.org, where they actually have taken the time to list all of the states and what the salary is for uh, state representatives there. New Hampshire, of course, with $100 per year. New Hampshire, they're they're saying here doesn't have a per diem. Now, maybe they're not considering whatever the I don't know what they call it, but there's something they get for gas, and so it it differs based on like if you're tra- if you are traveling a longer distance to uh, in New Hampshire, like let's say you live in the North Country and it takes you an hour and a half uh, to get to the state house versus somebody who lives a couple towns away and it takes them 15 minutes. The people that have to drive an hour and a half do get a larger stipend than the people. Uh, that have to drive 15 minutes. So it really is based on distance. We were talking about this El Salvador situation, which is crazy. Uh, There's people who are just getting rounded up and thrown into a prison, which is designed for as many as 40,000 people. And I've got a story here that's getting, uh, gets a little bit more into some of the details on uh, who's getting rounded up. According to the BBC, because as we pointed out, these are suspects. They've, they've dumped 2,000 men into this brand new facility, and they're going to dump thousands more. They've rounded up 60-something thousand people in most of the last year that this has been going on. Bukele, according to the BBC, calls this extraction. It is intended to tighten the military's control of El Salvador's major cities using high-tech surveillance equipment ostensibly to prevent gang members from coming in or out. The operation began uh, last, I guess it was December, with 10,000 members of the security de- uh, forces descending on the town of Soyapango, where they started rounding up alleged gang members. Bukele dismissed the concerns of international human rights organizations and foreign governments over the state of exception he introduced nine months ago following a weekend of extreme gang violence in which more than 70 people were killed. The emergency measure granted the police... 75 people were killed? 70. Uh, The emergency measure granted the police sweeping new powers, including the right to detain suspects without due process. Bukele told the officers it was supported by more than 95% of Salvadorians. It is undeniably popular, says the BBC. Murder rates are falling to new lows. Neighborhoods which have endured years of extortion and violence... At the hands of the brutal MS-13 and 18th Street gangs are enjoying an unprecedented period of calm. However, as El Salvador's uh, prison population is now proportionally the highest in the world, already overcrowded facilities are heaving under the new intake, prompting the government to announce the construction of a major new penitentiary. This is a story from December, and now that facility is open. 
Uh, evidence suggests hundreds, perhaps thousands of people with no discernible link to gang crime have been caught in the dragnet. When police officers came crashing through Zoila Torres's front door in April, she thought they must have made a mistake. We don't make trouble for anyone, she insists. My husband has nothing to do with the gangs. He works in a factory making sacks for transporting crops. Nevertheless, the police stormed their cramped home and detained her husband Manuel and her brother-in-law while her children were eating breakfast. Over the road at her brother's house, the same thing was happening, all on the strength of an anonymous tip. Wow. I mean, have they gotten out? Uh, The three men spent almost a month in the harshest prison conditions in Latin America. Zoila says they were regularly beaten in jail and have been left traumatized by the experience. So it does sound like they did get out. According to the story here, she managed to get them freed after their employer provided assurances that they were not involved in gang activities. Wow, if you don't have a job, looks like sucks for you. You're just going to stay in jail and be beat all the time. That's what it sounds like. And the worst part is they're probably not going to seek any, they're not going to be able to have any recompenses. Oh, hell no. Things like that. It's emergency measures. Hey, look, we, you look like a gang member and there's no more constitutional rights because of the emergency law. And so therefore you should just be thanking your lucky stars. You're no longer in custody, son. It's very funny when anything that's a temporary measure or an emergency measure usually ends up not being. Going on forever. Well, it's. Like, let's go with one of the tales all the time, the income tax. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. obviously it's temporary. It's very egregious, but and but temporary. Obviously, not as terrible as 60,000 people being hauled away to some prison to be forgotten about. But Marta, temp- an 18-year-old psychology student, was not so fortunate. Her father, Oscar, says that Marta, not her real name, was taken from her home after the police tried to force her to name a gang member. As she didn't know any gang members and was not prepared to falsely accuse anyone, well, they simply arrested her instead. Holy he said. crap. There's a particular event in American history that uh, very much echoes this uh, thing where, you know, if you had to name somebody or else you would be considered one of the one of the enemies. The Red Scare? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's exact, this is McCarthyism under a different skin. Or uh, don't forget when they rounded up uh, Japanese and German Americans and threw them into concentration camps just because of their heritage. Yep. So don't think it can't happen here. In late December, she'll, be, uh, she'll have been in prison for six months, said her father. They arrested her for illicit association, but they provided no proof and no evidence at all. Oscar's attempts to secure his daughter's release, providing evidence of her enrollment in university and testimony from her church group as to her good character, have so far so far fallen on deaf ears. And now Marta, like thousands of other prisoners, is facing a further six months in legal limbo as the state of exception, which is their term, I guess, for state of emergency, is to be extended again this year. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.